and welcome to episode 59 of In Saddle Podcast. This week's betting preview, we will be covering all the top racing action this weekend in the UK. Saturday's focus will be on Ascot, Haylock and Taunton. This week, we are missing Mark, but we have got Chris Loder, Lucky Loder, and Paul Callahan, and joined by special guest this week, Peter Finch. How are we all doing, folks? Very well, thank you. Looking forward to this podcast. Coming into some good form after our twenty to one nap winner, but uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be able to uh, to catch Paul in in the in the naps table. So yeah, you've got the sixty to one money, and how did it happen? Um, it happens. Well, yeah, it ha- I can't believe that it actually went off. That the horse went off. Born Bill went off sixty-six to one. He was as big as eighty to one, and I think possibly a hundred to one in the morning for a short period of time. He was eighty to one for for the majority of the morning, though. Um, he finished second. Very rarely runs a bad race. Born Bill and the run, his previous run, he was second, beaten ahead by the winner, a little over ahead by the winner, but he was beaten ahead by the second, who was rated one hundred and fifty-six. And the highest rated in that race was 144, which was solo, which was pretty much below form so far this season. And his times of his races are pretty, were pretty consistently good or, you know, satisfactory. So all he had to do was run near enough to form and at worst he, he would finish in the first five. So at 20 to 1, he was worth taking a punt on. And that, but I kind of thought the game was over when I saw the price in the morning. I thought this lad's running on three legs or... As I said last week, there was going to be a sniper waiting for him in the top of the stands, but no, he was brilliant. It's amazing when some of the big winners are actual drifters, but anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So let's dive straight into Ascot on Saturday. So first race we're covering is the 115 Mare's Hurdle, the Warfield. It is two miles and seven furlongs. Let's start with this week's special guest, Peter Finch. Right. Um, unfortunately, there's going to be a few odds on shots picked during the day, uh, Saturday, or short favourites for sure. I mean, Magic Light has won this for the last two years, but it's got to be um, Roxana uh, on the basis that that third in the in the long walk is a standout piece of form in the context of this race. I think Magic Light is actually probably better over fences anyway. This is a stronger race than last year. The Paul Nichols one, which I will leave you to pronounce. Um, Eglatine de, S- de Sol, something like that. Um, presumably that's how you pronounce it. That will um, need to step up a little bit. I'm not sure the extra distance will be of benefit. And I just think that, you know, we all saw um, the Skeletons have a bad weekend last week with um, the horses that actually broke down. And, and, and hopefully this will be a much more positive week for them. And I, and I can't see beyond the favourite in this way. That was um, an absolute heartbreaking weekend for them. And was it the the Hobbs team that lost one as well? Um, days like that are rough um, for the sport. So obviously all thoughts with them and I hope they get a bit of a change of luck and it brings the yard some joy and positivity. Um, Chris Loder, what have you got to add to that? I, I do agree with um, Pete um, here on this one. I think Roxana 
probably deserves to be just a shade of odds on. She is pretty short in the bet, and I, I would argue that. Magic of Light will give her something to think about. Roxana obviously brings in some great form already this season. Winning the West Yorkshire Hurdle at Weatherby when I put her up here as a, as an app, but not quite 66 to 1 that day. Um, she did that really well, beating Next Destination, who's boosted that form. And obviously, she ran a cracker um, at Ascot uh, not long before uh, Christmas in the long walk behind Paisley Park and Time Hill, you know. And at one point, you thought she could have a chance of winning the race, you know. She. Uh, was very good that day. She's a very um, a top class mare that doesn't normally take on the mares. Actually, she normally takes on the boys. You know, so you could argue running back against her own sex, it will be a slightly easier task. Magic of Light will definitely make it a race. That's for sure. She's won this race, like Pete said, the last couple of years. You know, she normally goes through a phase of where she wins that mares chase at Newbury, and then she always comes here. Um, I just think that she hasn't faced a mare like Roxana in these races that she comes in and races at this stage of the season in the UK before. And I just think Roxana could still maybe have a shot at one of the grade one staying hurdles at Cheltenham or Aintree. I don't know where the Skeltons are going. I think they're potentially thinking Aintree, but I think uh, Roxana for me, I just think she just might have a little bit more pace than uh, Magic of Light over this trip. But I expect it to be a not, not, not a walkover for Roxana, but I, I do think she'll get the job done and I think uh, I think uh, she'll take all the beating. And Paul Callahan, anything to contest? Well, I'm going to pose the favourite. I do think Roxana is a little short. She is the one that they have to beat, but she's a little short. I'm going to go with Magical Light here for Jessica Harrington. Robbie Power staying at home here in Ireland, so John Joe Neal Jr. Gets the, will be getting the leg up on Saturday afternoon. As the lads mentioned, she's looking to complete a hat-trick of victories in the race. Apart from taking on Roxana, it is the strongest of the renewals that, that Magic Delight will have faced. But the ground would have to be of some concern, but it is only the, the second race of the afternoon. So you'd be kind of hoping that it would be relatively fresh ground. So I'm going to take a chance here at a bit more of a working man's price on Magic Delight to complete the, the hat-trick of victories in this one. Does anyone know, just to side issue very quickly, with Magic of Light, would that horse go back to Ireland and back again from Newby or would it be stay over here? So I, yeah, she, she left she left the yard today, this afternoon. Right, okay. As far as I know, so I think she'll plan to get there in the early hours of the morning. So and there's a cost, a big cost to attach to that with obviously with the Brexit uh, not Brexit, the, the COVID rules and I think the COVID and, and the Brexit, yeah, because I think the BNT yeah. charges are, are, are very now with, with Brexit. Um, so yeah, I think it's. I think all in all, there's been more paperwork to do, and it's roughly added. I think I saw it earlier on this evening. I think Jessica Harrington has said it's cost the guts of seven hundred euro more to travel. So not ideal. No, it's not an ideal scenario. But they obviously think they've got a good chance of getting up there in the money. I mean, second place money is good as well. So if it is the two horse race that we think it may be, then they've been with the shot so that one we've just got the two selections so we've got Roxana for Chris Loder and Peter Finch um, currently best price available is four to five um, and Magic of Light for Paul Callahan um, best price available 11 to four so next race to cover staying at Ascot we have the 150 better way to bet Holloway's handicap hurdle the grade three 
two miles and three furlongs. Let's start with Paul Callahan this time. Process of elimination, you've, I think you've likely squeezed at the top of the market. Was toward when last seen carries 11 5. It's the second start since the wind operation and also wears the tongue tie. So you might argue that the wind operation wasn't 100% successful. Danny Kerwin has enough beaten favourites next to his name. He was a beaten odds on favourite four starts ago at Exeter, was back on the 21st of February. Janika would spend more of, of his term over fences, but he's having his first start since the wind operation. So I'm going to take the kids and his interest. for Tom Lacey was a winner when last seen Brian Hughes on board. But at the prices, I'm going to take a chance here on Warlord for Colin Tizard and Richard Johnson. He has struggled in graded company in the past, but on ratings, he's only rated £2 lower than likely squeezed, who is towards the top of the, the betting market. He was a nice winner on soft ground at Haydock two starts ago. And that run was that run was back in November, but he did fail to to build on that last time out. Robbie Power was on board his that win at Haydock. He was beaten at Haydock on his next start, but he he will need to bounce back. But I do fancy at the prices he's, he's at an attractive enough price to get back on track here to worthy of an each way selection. I think in this one. Are you in any way concerned by the yard form? I know a lot of people all over Twitter can't shut up about how Tizard's horses aren't firing as well as they should be. I would, yeah. I think they're, they're a bit hit and miss. They're more missed than hit. They had a couple of places horses today that ran pretty, that ran satisfactory, I think, without winning. But I would, I think, wasn't this loss in translation? Didn't he bleed in the, the King George? And the horse last weekend at Warwick, um, Fiddler on the Roof bled as well. So I don't think that neither horse would have a history of, although lost in translation in that run last year, but neither horse would, would have a history of bleeding. Um, so I would guess, without knowing, I would guess that there's something lying on, on a number of them that obviously they're not being put under the pressure at home than what they are at, at the races. And when they are coming for that one last burst, that it, it's just catching them out and, and they're hurting. And even today, even though they were placed today, they didn't. I, I didn't see one that finished off the race particularly well. And what? I mean, obviously, my if you follow me, you wouldn't be following me on the tip so far this year. But there was a horse yesterday that he really liked, and it was in the mayor's race, uh, Shirocco's something or other. Um, and it was actually one of the five to follow uh, for Colin Tizard at the beginning of the season, and it, and it just just ran on the one pace. I just feel I don't know what what is happening, but. I think you're right with Warlord. It has got a chance based on uh, the form before, but I, I, I don't think you could touch Tizard at the moment. The horses just seem not to be finishing off as as, as well as they should be. And I don't know, what, don't know what it is, what line they've come out with, but and that's pretty much what happened last weekend. I think with Fiddler on the Roof, I like, yeah. before it straightened up, he got he got caught for he got kept kind of held in a pocket probably done him a favour like he was, he was alongside next destination jumping the last Yeah. but next destination I think if they were still running now like next destination put a length and a half between between him and, and Fiddler on the roof from the last fence to the winning line so again he didn't and you could almost see I think half a furlong out his head I'd say where the point where he burst the stride shortened the head kind of came up a fraction so I'm, I'm guessing kind of somewhere from the last in the last half a furlong that's where the that's where he burst like I think that was one of my favourite races to watch last weekend. Um, it just became so clever and so tactical. Um, 
and it wasn't a race I would have ever had any money on, but it was it was very good fun to watch. So, Peter Finch, would you like to go next? Yeah, um, I start at the top of the market. Danny Kerwin, I think Paul Nichols actually rated this one a couple of years ago. Um, appears to me as if wanting better ground, so I don't, I'm not going to get the good ground. Appears again as, 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 as a chaser, so whatever they do over hurdles, I mean, the moment the horse is eight, but uh, at some point that horse has got to go um, chasing. It just looks like a, a chaser, but being by Scorpion, they don't always uh, put everything in. Um, it's quite likely race with Paul, Paul Nichols one, but considering it's a point-to-point -point winner, I'm surprised we've not seen um, Danny Kerwin over, over the large obstacles, which I think would be better. Lightly squeezed, uh, lightly squeezed, I should say, I don't know. I don't know whether that went through with the run last time either. But the second time, Windock might improve that one. I mean, the dirt she has formed to find with Lightly Squeeze. Um, Janica, I don't know what to expect because um, that one has one fresh and carrying 11 12 in, in that ground might be difficult. I've gone for, and I don't know whether I'm going to do it each way or whether I'm going to have it go whack on it, but Paddy's motorbike gets a, a nice weight, 10-10. Um, it is first time in handicap company, I do believe. There was a horse that finished way behind it, I think back in fourth, that won very easily first race last week at Warwick. That form doesn't amount to much, but I just think that um, Paddy's motorbike actually might run a good race against a lot of, there's a lot of question marks against a lot of horses in this race with tongue ties and wind ops and, you know, and, and, and Cateson is a danger, I would I would, I would, I would hazard a guess. It's a wide open contest, but I just thought a, a price is Paddy's motorbike around about 11, 12 to 1. Probably each way was, was, a, was a good call because we know that horse is, even though it's nine, is, is steadily improving. And I think the last two runs have actually been quite good. He, interestingly, I looked at the odds for him half an hour ago and he was 12 to 1 best price available and now the best price I can find for him is 9 to 1. So in the last half an hour, someone's had some money on him, um, yeah. which, I mean, trainer Sam Thomas has a fantastic strike rate and his horses are running well to form. It could be a really interesting each way angle. Chris Loder, what have you got for us? I quite like Janika in this race, actually, um, for Nicky Henderson, whose horses actually haven't been running too badly in January. I know that a lot of people saying that they were underperforming over Christmas, but he's been amongst the winners this week, and his horses aren't running too badly. But Janika, I know a lot of people will go, well, he's been running over fences, you know, he hasn't really had many goes over hurdles, and that is true. But his mark now over hurdles is 147 which is £13 lower than his chase rating. And some of his chase form is extremely good. I was actually at Exeter last year, oh, back in 2019 now, uh, for the Howden Gold Cup meeting when he won fresh. And he was very good that day. And I thought he was going to be able to mix it against the big boys in some of the grade ones. Uh, but unfortunately, just quite kick on for him. Um And he was slightly disappointed. But if you go back the year before that, he uh, came over for Henderson and he was running in some of the big handicaps carrying top weight. I remember he finished second in the Brown Advisory and just went down to Sierra de Lac 
And that was a really good run that day. So carrying a big weight in this contest, I don't think it's uh, a major issue. Also as well, he has had a run over hurdles in the last 12 months. He um, finished a respectable fourth, I would call it, in the Raquel hurdle at uh, at Cheltenham, where he wasn't disgraced. He wasn't too far beaten behind Somerville Boy, Roxana, William Henry, some, some nice horses that day. He was only beaten around about five or six lengths behind behind some of the old boys, so he wasn't disgraced. Um, I just think that this isn't a particularly strong race, and for me, Janika brings a bit of class to it. We know he goes well fresh. There's been a bit of money around for him, as I've seen as well. When I looked earlier, he's around about 10 to 1. I've seen a short seven now with the same firm that were 10s earlier, so some people are thinking the same as me. He's had a wind up, which uh, I think will definitely help him. Who knows where he's going to go? He's one of those horses that... Uh, is between a rock and a hard place between uh, fences and jumps. You know, he's maybe a bit high in the weights to really go well in the handicap uh, over fences at least, or he's not quite able to cut it at a graded company. But I think over hurdles, I think one four seven can be a workable mark. I think he can go very close in this race, and uh, I think at the prices, I think he's worth an each way play. So three different selections for the. 150. So we've got Chris Loder with Janica. Um, I can find 15 to 2 at the moment. Um, and then we have Paddy's Motorbike for Peter Finch, currently best price available, 921. And Warlord for Paul Callahan, who has got the 14 to 1 bigger price for this race. Can I just say something about Janica very quickly? I mean, it is quite surprising that coming over from France, that um, it never ran over hurdles. I think it won once over hurdles at Cheltenham, and now they're trying hurdles for the first time. So, um, Chris could be onto something there. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it could be plotted out for it. Putting seeds in your mind. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're bad for that doesn't always go to plan no <laughs> so the next race we've got at ascot is the three o'clock it's the handicap chase two miles and five furlongs we currently have 14 runners entered into this chris loader do you want to go first yeah I'd, at the top of the market I wasn't really fancying too many of them. For me, good boy Bobby is round about where he is with his mark. I can't really see him improving too much. Benny's king might be a bit high in the weights now. Dashiell Drasher is a horse I like, but I think that race might have taken it out of him last time at Ascot. He was really tired limping home, and I just think that might have left a mark on him. I've taken a chance here with one at a bigger price. I think this one could go well each way. That's acting last for Harry Fry. Sean Byrne but for the ride. Um, is a course and distance winner if you go back through his form. It's not always been the most straightforward horse. I think he's had a couple of niggly problems along the way. But on his day, he is definitely a class act. He might be a little bit high in the weights off a mark of 149. But I still do think he, he is a capable operator. He actually ran here behind Regal Encore just before Christmas in 2019 off a mark of 147. So that's only £2 lower. Um, he did disappoint at Banger on D um, in the race won by not a chance. And we've seen that form boosted uh, as he went on to win the classic chase at Warwick. And also in there, there that day, you had the two amigos who ran well in the Welsh National a couple of weeks ago. So 
he made his reappearance in a good race, but he was um, pulled up in that race. But uh, I think he's had a wind up now, which might just put him spot on for this. I didn't think it was a particularly uh, appealing betting race, but I thought at price, I thought he could go quite well at a track he's done well on in the past. And I think the drop back to two and a half miles where he's run at three before might be a good move. And I think he'll still be there towards the end of the race and he might be able to nick a place or maybe might be good enough to win on the day. So I just thought at a bit of a price, acting less, uh, could go well. Yeah, it's, it says on the Racing Post website that he had wind surgery. Um, that was posted on there on the 18th of November. So he's had time to get fit after that and make sure that it's done the job it needs to do. Um, so fingers crossed for him. Paul Callahan, what have you got for us? Again, I, a horse that I like is Dashiell Drasher. I've seen him win a hurdle race around Newbury and thought he was a horse. Thought he could develop into a proper horse. Um, he was quite green and, and a little clumsy with his jumping, but he has. He's, he's still kind of. He was a good winner on his last run, but he can be capable of, of clouting the odd one or two. Just through, I think, from visually looking at him on telly, it looks to be a lack of concentration more than anything. And apart from that, it was I think it was a three runner race that he won at Ascot on his last run do you know 14 runners to contend with here I don't think that would be to his benefit I'm going to side with the Philip Hobbs train Jerry's back to give Richard Johnson maybe a quick fire double on the card Jerry's back only had seven runs over fences he was last seen finishing third over three miles that was at Ascot back on the 21st of December in 2019 off the mark of 143 he runs here off 142 it's going to be fresh, so I think it's going to be might be a bit of a task for Richard Johnson to get him settled early on. But I think if he can get him settled early and into a nice rhythm, I think he can run a nice race at a price. Okay, okay. So Peter Finch, what have you got for us? Well, I'm, we certainly haven't got a, a surname in this race that we had back in 2019. It is a very very competitive race. I I don't quite understand why Goodbye Bobby is at the top of the market. I, I, I watched that when it came second. I just felt that it had every chance against uh, a Nicholsinger um, Haydock. And last time, it did make a mistake at the first at Sheldon, but I just think it's a bit one pace when it comes um, to the closing stages. Uh, Dashiell Drasher is definitely going to lead. I mean, it, it did seem to be run at such a pace last time, that particular race where Itchy Feet came second, because Itchy Feet was looking well out on his feet. Um, pardon the pun, and then came back at um, Dashiell Dasher in the closing stages. But I agree with Chris that that could possibly have taken its toll. Esper de Green was very disappointing last time. Um, that went off really short favourite and just did nothing. It sort of was there and started trading towards the back and, and, and the tongue tie has been given the first time. It is a course and distance winner, but I would worry that that tongue tie first time was obviously a wind issue. And it might well be that next season might be a time to follow that one. Jerry's back. It's very, very likely race for a nine-year-old. Obviously, there's been some problems. Uh, I think it'll be a tough task to, to, to win this. So I'm going to be quite boring and go with Benny's King on the basis that I do appreciate it's got top weight, but I, I think the step-up in trip will help. And the Skeletons are targeting the Saturday races more this season. You've seen it on the, on the big Saturdays that they are now as opposed to a year ago or two years ago when they were mopping up the sort of um, the good ground summer races. They are now focusing their attention on the bigger races. And 
been only having two runs this season, I, I think Benny's King is, is the one to beat despite pop weight. Interesting. I am going to throw one into the mix for this race as well. Um, I I don't know if it's really a betting race, but there's quite a few that could be good from an each way angle. Um, and I will put one in for this. I'll go with Young Wolf um, for John Joe O'Neill and John Joe O'Neill Jr. It was a bit disappointing last time out in the race at Newbury where um, Paint the Dream absolutely stormed home under a brilliant ride from Connor Brace, um, just from the front, didn't touch Twig, was absolutely brilliant. Um, Young Wolf was a little bit disappointing, he trailed off um, after a couple of awkward jumps. However, on visiting um, the John Joe O'Neill Yard, Jack Dawes, he is a horse that John Joe and Richard Kern think really, really highly of. They think he's mega talented and he's got some big races in him. So for an each way angle, I think he's 16 to 1 currently. Um, I'd have a little each way play on him, I think. He's a okay. really talented horse. And as you say, something about Chris's selections, um, Acting Last won this in 2018 and it won at 7 to 4 favourites. So if you, he's, he's getting the value this year, isn't he? Yeah, certainly is. <laughs> you your long shot, kind of long odds, course and distance winners generally pay off for us, though. Yeah, so. it's, it's the way of the game. Courses for horses, as they say. Or is it the other way exactly. around? I think, I, think I think that's a fair point. I think a lot of horses, you know, they either like the, the, the tight tracks or the, or the flat tracks. Trouble is, as, as a punter, we we don't always know the answer to the questions. The trains generally do. And they also generally would, if they want to get good handicap marks or whatever, would ride them over courses that are not quite suited. <laughs> and then you get a massive galloping course and then they, they turn out to be so well handicapped. So it's always a puzzle every week and every day of the week, you know, and you learn new things. But I think you're right. I think course and distance form, especially Asker actually, is, is very important. Yeah, it's interesting. I think possibly good boy Bobby's so short in the betting because he's got a lot less weight to carry than Benny's King, um, 10 pounds less. And on the heavy ground, at a course like Cascot, that will probably make a fair amount of difference. But let's round that one up for now. So we have Chris Loder's selection acting last at 16 to 1, best price available at time of recording. Paul Callahan with Jerry's back at 12 to 1, and Peter Finch with Benny's King at 6 to 1. And my random thrown in suggestion this week of Young Wolf for the John Joe O'Neill team at 16 to 1 currently. So last race for us to cover at Ascot for Saturday. We had the 335 Clarence House Chase, the grade one, two miles. And I feel like this is going to be a very monotone conversation about this race. Let's start with Peter Bench. Well, Ruth Jefferson has been waiting patiently to get a winner of the 10 year old. Um, lightly raced over the last few years, obviously had, had the problems. I think it was a good run in the King George behind Froden, even though 
Brian Force was able to dictate the pace and, and I think if you ran that race again you would not get the same result but it's still an encouraging run from waiting patiently you've got a horse here in my opinion in Politidog that doesn't get the praise that, that it deserves and what I mean by that is everyone's hyping up about certain horses in the past um, your Vitors and your side of Grooges and, 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 and your big winners and this one doesn't seem to get the credit uh, and I think it's won races on merit, uh, won big races at Cheltenham, and obviously won the big race on return this time when Altior didn't run. And there's no reason to think that it couldn't have been Altior anyway. So I think Politilog often goes out off slightly bigger than what it should do. I don't know why that is, but that's just my view. Definitely themselves still got it to prove. I mean, obviously bombed out the Queen Mother, was going well last time. Richard Johnson has said the horse at home has been working well, and on previous form it has beaten Politicrog. But you are taking a big risk um, with Defe de Sol to, after two poor runs, you are banking on that one coming back to its best. And I, I, I have a big question mark against that. So I'm going to be boring and I'm going to go with Politicrog, who, who incidentally is more likely raced um, in the last couple of years than it used to be. Paul, Paul Nichols used to run it five, six times a season. Now he's very selective. And I, we've had one run, we've had this one, and then it'll be Cheltenham. So it's, it's sort of a, a plan of three races a, uh, a season, and it seems to be working. It's interesting. We've had this conversation on the podcast before about Politilog, and there's something about him that obviously doesn't capture the imagination of and the hearts of people quite like Altior does. Um, yeah. For me, it's the opposite way around. I love an underdog story. I love Politilog. Um, I remember first hearing about him from a customer at work saying, watch out for this horse, he's going to be special. Um, yeah. I don't know why he doesn't get the praise he deserves. He's super talented. Paul Callahan, anything to add? Not particularly to, to that. I think, you know, Peter summed it up. Politilog is, is the one to have to beat. He looked as good as ever when winning the, the Tingle Creek. My only fear with waiting patiently, like he ran a cracker to finish second in the King George. That was his first run though since the, the early December 2019. I'd be afraid of him bouncing, just maybe not running so well on Saturday afternoon. Deputy Desai has it to prove after two poor runs. Possibly to, to follow Politilogue home, I'm going to flag up first low for Kim Bailey and David Bass. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. Would need to find on form, obviously, but um, has been, you know, the model of consistency. So I think at a bit of a price, if you're having a, an each way bet, I wouldn't put anyone up having a couple of quid uh, each way on first flow. And Chris Loder, anything else to add? No, I agree with the lads. Politilog will take all the beating. It's interesting what you're saying, he doesn't get the appreciation he deserves. I think he's a bit like Min, that they've both been victims to Altior. Yeah. Um, yeah. two cracking horses that have won multiple grade ones and they're both very versatile actually over distances some people if they go back through the four might be able to find that he actually ran a respectable race in the King George I think he finished fourth uh, one year So and he's even won over here uh, got over two and a half miles before he won uh, the Christie's chase a couple of years ago so very versatile horse politolog and I think they found the key to him uh, running him fresh and going out from the front, you know, and making it a stamina test uh, over the trip. 
waiting patiently, obviously. It's interesting that he's been supplemented. And he can mix it over two miles. He ran a great race last year in the Tingle Creek to finish third, staying on. So he's very versatile too. And he's also, as well, a grade one winner at the track. He uh, won the Ascot chase when he beat uh, Q Card, but Q Card obviously was in the declining stages of his career then. Deffy is an interesting one. I will just put it out there that before he had that great season over fences, he absolutely threw a stinker on his chase debut at Cheltenham. And then he won uh, on his next start at Exeter. And then that's when he went on his great run of form and his great battles with Lost in Translation. So if he got to a bit of a price around about five to one, I think he could be... I know, like we said this, we've said this before, but a couple of times recently, with like the likes of surname and that, if they got to a price, do they become a bit of a, a bet, despite them being weak? You know, drifters can win, so I would just have that in the back of my mind about Deffy, the fact that we have seen him chucking a stinker before and then look like the real deal in his next start, and he has beaten Politilog in the past before, so uh, it can be done for Deffy. But I do think that Politilog, I think. He's a different horse at the moment. And it's interesting as well that they're, they're, they're going straight with Cobden here. Skelton has said that he will ride Nuba Negra if he turns up in the in the champion chase, which is the, the ultimate aim for the, for that horse, who obviously beat Altior at Christmas. But uh, Politlog, um, I just think, yeah, like the dad said, will take all the beating. And even at 5-4, to four, you know, I think he, he he's worth a bet if you wanted to maybe stick him in a double with Roxana or, or something, you know. So... Yeah, for me, Pelletlog will should be uh, winning this race, and hopefully, uh, all roads then to the Cheltenham Festival. Yeah, I can't see any reason why Pelletlog wouldn't, unless something in there has got something hidden away. Um, so for the whole panel, Pelletlog best price available currently is eleven to eight, and then Paul Callahan's each way selection for the race, we've got first flow at. 14 to 1. So moving on from Ascot to Haydock, we have got the 240 Peter Marsh Handicap Chase, Grade 2, 3 miles and 1 furlong. Let's start with Peter. I think with this um, particular race, I'm going to go and be boring and go with the favourite. Um, Royal Pagalidi. Royal Pagal. Royal Pagal. Royal Pagal, thank you. I'm I'm actually pronouncing a silent L or a silent I. Royal Pagal, I was definitely disappointed with myself first time out because it was involved in four runner race. And I almost put it up. It was I think 10, 11 to 1. And it won very easy. And subsequently what went to um Ascot. I think it was Ascot. And one really, one really easy. I mean, it's gone up a lot, a lot in the weights. But I, I, I'm looking around the field and I'm looking at exposed runners against a horse that is up and coming and seems to be, even though it's carrying top weight, I do not see anything beating it. And it would be actually my map of the day. Sam Brown um, went on a nice winning spree last year. There's a tongue-tied operation for the first time. That will definitely help. Um, Sam's Adventure, I don't know where that win came from last time. It carries hardly no weight, but it's never come across to me as a, as a horse that is going to reach dizzy heights over fences. AC Milan would, would love the ground, carries no weight. Anthony Honeyball is in, in a little bit better form now than what he was. He went 
He had a really good spell, and then his dick, and then he had a few winners early in the week. I just, I know it's carrying 11-10, <coughs> but I cannot see past the favourite, and, and I'd be amazed that anyone else can. <laughs> I would side with you on this one. Um, I think Tom Skidmore's a fantastic jockey. We know Venetia's horses go well on heavy ground. Um, they've got a brilliant record over chase fences, much better than their strike rate over hurdles. Is definitely a worthy favourite. Um, however, you say you'd be shocked if anyone else disagreed. I'm winding them up. I'm winding them up. <laughs> the boys have gone ball. against you. Um, Chris Loder, tell us about your selection for this race. Yeah, well, I'm going with Sam Brown here. Um, actually, normally the, the you want to be identifying Sue Smith runners in this race. She's got a fantastic yeah. record. I actually remember putting up uh, old vintage crowds for this race last year when he absolutely dotted up. Um, but unfortunately, there's no Sue Smith uh uh, runners in this race this year so that rule's thrown out the window uh so i'm gonna have to go with sam brown um but sam brown is a horse i've had a lot of time for i remember i was actually um when we were planning on doing uh, this podcast i was actually uh i went for a day's racing at ascot to the same meeting that we just talked about last year and um and i was talking to mark about obviously podcast plans and what we wanted to do and we were watching sam brown at haydock on this card last year and I was saying, oh, I think Sam Brown is a good thing here, you know. And then it looked beat uh, really early on. He was really badly outpaced. That was over two and a half miles that day in a, in a grade two novice chase, which is going to be run earlier on the card. Um, but once uh, he, uh, after he hit his flat spot, he stayed on really strongly and absolutely dotted up in the end. Uh, won quite cosily. Okay, it was only a small field. But uh, I've always felt that they really liked this horse, the Anthony Honeyball team. Uh, and I think he wants a trip on testing ground, and he's going to get that here. We know he's a course winner. He's going to be getting £9 from Royal Pagal uh, if you take the claim of Ben Godfrey, who did me a couple of favours uh, when he rode a treble at uh, Fontwell uh, last week. So he's in good form. He's definitely worth his £5 claim. Uh, Pete was right as well. Honeyball's team are in good form at the moment. And he ran an encouraging race on his reappearance in that um, in that Colin Parker behind Imperial Aura, and we've seen that form work out not too badly so I think there's a lot of ticks in the boxes for Sam Brown and I know Royal Pagal has been given lots of sexy entries for the Cheltenham Festivals entered in the Gold Cup National Hunt Chase but I just think giving £9 to a horse like Sam Brown is going to be a tough ask and I think if it turns into a proper slog Sam Brown will come out on top So from one Sam to another Paul Callahan tell us why you have selected Sam's adventure for this? Well, I, I don't think there's going to be many finishers in it. What if we tend declared? I'd say you'll be lucky if five get round. Um, Royal Pigel, a horse that's clearly going the, the right way. He was a very easy winner on his last two starts. You know, his, his handicap mark has gone up <coughs> considerably, and, and rightly so. Sam Brown is a horse that's very well taught out. Chris made it a valid valid case there for him however this is only his third run since that win at Haydock last year and I think it's interesting that Connections have opted to claim 5 off 11-6 so 1-5-2 could be just stretching his ability off that market in this company AC Milan is also of interest but he can be prone to making the odd mistake on the way around and the Haydock fence I don't think he's ever ran at Haydock before um, 
over fences. He did have a run over hurdles. And the Haydock fences are portable fences and they don't ride that nice for whatever reason. And we would have seen that with the that one was it the the horse that won down at Sandown from the north? I can't think of Sandy Thompson's horse, Ryan Mania. Um he oh, never yeah. jumped it big at as Haydock to run before that. But they don't ride very well at all. It's like Ludlow today, they're they they can be quite soft and Haydock fences can be quite soft and it's not everyone's cup of tea. So Royal Pigal has that advantage. He's popped around there two starts back and, and won quite easy. But Sam's adventure, I think the handicapper's been been quite slightly lenient. He won off 133, he's running off 139. He's a course and distance winner. There's only three course and distance winners in the field. You have Potter's legend, course and distance winner, Creve Hill, who's a little out of form, would need to step up. Um so it is Sam's adventure for me. He, he might just, you know, if he jumps around, he, he, all he might have to do is jump around to finish in the first three. Yeah, that it could well be one of those races, like where we saw Perfect Candidate trailing home, but way ahead of everything else. It, I mean, how many race, how many horses were in that race? It was about fifteen, and only three finished, or something. It's going um, to be hard going. It's, yeah, it is going to be tough. He only has 10-7 on his back as opposed to the favourite who is 11-10. And as I said, you know, you might only, you could be only looking at three finishes in this and three or four finishes. Perfect. So, three different selections for this race. We've got Chris Loder with Sam Brown at 4-1, to one, Paul Callahan with Sam's Adventure currently at 6-1, to one, and Peter Finch's selection, Royal Pugil, at nine to four, who he is putting up as his nap for the podcast this week. So, second race at Haydock to cover is the 315 New One Unibet's hurdle. It's grade two and it is one mile and seven furlongs. It's a three horse field, and our panel have all selected a different horse. So, let's go with Paul Callahan first. Yeah, Boobadere is the class horse in this one. However, it's his first run since November 2019. So I think Ballyandy might be a little bit more of a betting proposition, having finished third behind Silver Streak and Epitante in the Christmas order at Kempton on December the 26th. He's fifth and he won't mind the ground. So for that reason, it's Ballyandy that gets the nod. Short and sweet. Chris Loder, what have you got for us? I'm actually going with a complete rag of the field here. Um, Bouvardier can't have him, even though obviously when you do the maths and the ratings and the weights, it all looks good. Uh, obviously getting weight from all the all the other runners, uh, but he's got it all to prove in my opinion uh, still because that was a nasty injury he had and it's kept him out for a while. I know Nicky Henderson has been raving about his prep, uh, but I would want to see a convincing performance. Bali Andy as well uh, is a horse that. Even though he's been gallant and he's made the frame and he's been a great servant in these races for Nigel Twist and Davis over the last few years, I just thought the way tactically it might pan out, it might just suit Navajo Pass, who um, was a good juvenile hurdler for Donald McCain last season. I ran in a, in a couple of good races. Actually, he's a grade two winner uh, in his own right, won this juvenile hurdle back in 2019. Obviously, he does have to give £3 away to Boobadere, but he's in receipt for £3 of Ballyandy. 
I would imagine Sean Quinlan will want to go out from the front and try and make cool. And uh, if he gets an easy lead of things, he could just make it into a stamina test. He can handle uh, heavy ground, so the bottomless ground at Haydock that we're expecting uh, won't be a problem. And if it does turn into a stamina test, I just thought Navajo Pass might be able to cause a bit of surprise upset. And if he wanted a, a fiver bet, I thought 11, 12 to 1, I've seen in a place he could be a bit of a fun bet. But yeah, obviously you have to respect the two on, on the form, but I just thought we could have a bit of a boil over here if it turned into a tactical affair. And I thought Navajo Pass shouldn't be the price that he is. So for me... Uh, in a not a betting race, but Navajo Pass would be my selection. Thank you very much, Chris Leder. Peter Finch, would you like to talk about horse number three in the race? Yeah, uh, four to nine shot. At the end of the day, I do take the point um, of, of Chris on this one. This could be, if they're clever enough here, they could set, uh, set a real searching pace on Navarro Pass and Bally Andy. I mean, Bally Andy came, I think he came late last year to win this race. Um, and it's obviously a race that um, Tristan Davis will target. But if they go off a really sort of strong pace, both of them, uh, Navarro Pass obviously went over two and a half miles last time. Bally Andy probably arguably going to be better at two and a half miles. If they go a really good pace, it's going to really test Boobadier. So, if there's any chinks in the armour of Nicky Henderson's 10-year-old, and it seems like it's been uh, Boubadier's been around forever, it will find Boubadier out. But saying that, I think in races like this, class prevails. And I think Nicky Henderson uh, would be reluctant to race uh, any of his runners if he, if he didn't think they were not very close to 95% of what they're capable of doing. And I think a 95% Bouvardier would still beat Bally Andy and Navarro Pass. And it's getting six pounds from Bally Andy too. So, you know, you can look at the ratings and you can go and say, well, Bouvardier hasn't run for some time. And yes, it's a nasty injury. But I just feel that whatever they try to do tactically, and it will be run tactically to try and blunt the finishing speed of Boubadier, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. So I think at the prices, and I know it's short, but I think Boubadier will come out on, on top. I think um, it could end up winning. I'm hoping it will win quite easily, not because I'm going to bet on it, because I'm not even going to touch the race from a better medium, but it, but it would be nice to see a horse like Boubadier come back, win it easily, because then it just gives you more options for Chelsea. Yeah, I agree with you. I like it when it makes a good comeback. On the flip side of that, Peter, with, with just three runners, you know, there's only two opponents in the race and it's it's going to be, if Haydock gets the green light, it's going to be just about raceable. Yeah. I can't see the, I can't see them going that quick early on. And on the flip side of that, maybe Boubadier will be better off with a decent gallop to help him settle. I'd imagine, you'd imagine his first run since, since 2019, he'd be fairly gassy over the first two or three, would you imagine? You yeah. know, it just mightn't play into his hands if the goal was slow. He'd be quite keen. He'd be, it'll be a job for Nico maybe to, to settle him. That's interesting you to say that. So you think that they may actually go the opposite way to try to get him beat in terms of going a slow pace? I think so. I think he'd be quite yeah. fresh early on. And I think the ground will be, you know, they're not going to go, I'd be surprised if they went to a generous gallop early on. 
Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, no, it'd be fascinating. It'd be great to see him back now, but I think just the prices, I think, for me, Bally Andy would be more of a betting proposition, and I think it, it'll be tactically fascinating. Sorry, the only concern with, with Bally Andy for me is the fact that it was well beat at Kempton. It had been fairly well beat at, at Cheltenham a couple of times already, and it's it's where it is, isn't it? You know, in terms of the yeah. official ratings. 157, 158, or whatever. And and Boobadere is getting that six pounds. And I just think that might be the, the um, deciding factor. But it's, it's a fascinating contest. I think I, I think we all agreed. I mean, unless I'm wrong, I, I, I mean, I know Chris is having his five on it, but it's not a race for me to bet on. It's a race to enjoy. And like we've, you know, me and Paul have discussed how tactically it'd be interesting how tactically it's run. And what the end result of that is, because I think we all want to see a good race. And yeah. at the end of the day, you don't have to bet on every race to enjoy it, you know? Exactly. These three horse races, and I know people can give them a bit of stick for being boring, but quite often they do throw up some really interesting to watch tactics from the jockeys. And I think the jockeys have to be very clever and very careful with them. Well, presumably, before the race started at the start, they would say, look, I'm going to go on and I'm going to just be behind it because some races are quite fast, aren't they, when you watch them? Yeah, it depends what's in the race. Um, obviously, you ride the horse you're on as you find it um, or however it prefers to be ridden, but you generally you see the lads walking around at the start and you would know, like, Donald McCain likes his horse to be handy. So I'd imagine Brian will, will go forward or Sean Quinlan's on it. Um, Sean will go forward, Brian's Alaska. Sean will go forward and it'll be just how quick he wants to go. Um. Do you know, I'd imagine if I'd imagine Nico will drop in and Bally Andy as well. Bally Andy can go forward as well, so it'll just it'll be interesting. I don't think they're going to go overly quick, but you would it, it, you would you'd see them at the lads walking around at the start. Generally, you'd file into wherever you want to to see. Would you be chatting with each other and saying, "Look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that," or would you just keep your secrets to yourself? Oh no, you generally know everyone. You'd, you'd know um, beforehand. The horses, you'd, you'd know the form and that. Yeah. Um, and there would be certain yards, like Tom George as well. He, he would like his horses to go to go forward. Very very rarely would he have one dropped out. Henry Daly would be the same. Um, unless you're around the likes of Huntington, where you have 10 runners and maybe eight want to go. Yeah. You know, because you have no, you very rarely to come back to you at Huntington. So you could have 10 runner fields and eight of them would want to be sitting in the first four like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, you would you'd you'd have it sorted before you you line up really, mm. and then sometimes then you jump off and it just things mightn't be, you know the, the horse that's making it mightn't be going fast enough for you, so you let your horse hold along. Um, generally, you know when I first started with Tom George, it was one thing he says to me was was to you know if you, if you, if the horse is pulling, obviously within reason, but if the horse is pulling, you're going too slow, and if you're having to push the horse, you're having to, you're going too quick. So just let the horse find his own his own its own rhythm. Especially when it comes to the jumping, you want them jumping out of their rhythm that they're comfortable in, and there's not yeah. a lot of point in interfering with that, is there? No, uh, you very rarely see a loose horse falling either. Like, um, so you generally let them get on with it. Many of mine are sort of winning, but they've got no jockey on them, so <laughs> I know exactly what it's like to watch. <laughs> <laughs> then you want to be looking for the ones lower in the weights. Yeah. Perfect. So let's round up that one, the 315 at Haydock. I think we can all agree it's going to be an interesting 
tactical race to watch. Probably not a betting proposition for us, but we'll round up the odds anyway. So we've got Chris Loder's selection, Navajo Pass at 11 to 1. We've got Baliandi at 9 to 4 and Bubida at 4 to 7 currently. So we have our last race to cover of the podcast. We've got the 2.10 at Taunton. It's Weatherby's Portland Cup Chase. Shall we start with Chris Loder? Yeah, this is normally uh, Taunton's uh, spectacle of their season, as it were. And this is an unusual race, actually, um, because... It's not a handicap, and they all race off the same weights. And Yana Enki won this race last year. I remember uh, backing it last year for this race. Um, and obviously, on the ratings is the one that they've all got to beat. But I just think this horse is a little bit short in the betting for me. And the Welsh National was only two Saturdays ago. And even though, yes, I know it has backed up around quickly before, uh, I would just be a little bit concerned um, about that. The one I've decided to play with here is with if if the cap fits. I know he, he ran a really peculiar race last time out um, when staying on strongly in the end, coming from the back of the telly like a couple of my selections like to do um, uh, in the grade one quarter star novices chase. Uh, but he really did catch the eye that day. And I think he just is crying out for a trip. This is over... Uh, three and a half miles you know so it's going to be a proper stamina test and i have heard a few whispers around that this could be uh the plan this horse could be to go for the national hunt chase at cheltenham uh which obviously if he won this he could definitely um get well found in the betting for that i don't know what price is currently for that race but uh, i think that's the way they're kind of thinking with this horse he's got um a lot of back class as grade one winning hurdler has been a bit mixed so far over fences, but I just think maybe this uh, this marathon trip might just be able to unlock a few things. And for me, if I was having a bet in the race, I just think if the cap fits, brings a lot of class to the table, uh, and I think he could go close. Paul Callahan, what have you got for us? I agree with Chris about Yalanke. Um, you know, toward the Welsh National, that had to have taken quite a a bit out of the horse so I think he, he could have it all to do and at the prices he is short enough I'm going to come down on the side of the, the mighty John who ran a nice race to finish second behind Happy Go Lucky at Cheltenham last month that was over three miles one I think the step up to three four will suit he'll go that stride slow he's a horse that had a, a couple of issues with his jumping earlier on this is just his 10th start over fences so I do think the, the step up and trip will, will suit him they'll go just a half a stride slower to, to get into rhythm in the early stages and I think he, he I think to step up and trip will, will bring out a bit more improvement but a bit of a price it is the mighty Don who's my nap for the weekend for trainer Nick Gifford and jockey the excellent James Davies interesting what's going on Paul on what's going on with the naps you are a favourite you are a favourite man for weeks and weeks and weeks and, in the last... and then we introduce a nap table and you go wild. Well, naps are, I think naps are hard to come by unless you're going, I think, Politologue, you've moved there, there are two short price favourites. Um, I think this weekend could be, I think in general for the podcast, I think this weekend could be a tough weekend to get winners. It's the hardest weekend out of the last three, I think, anyway. 
Um, it's interesting yeah, you said that because when you look at it on paper, you think to yourself, with the short priced ones, oh, that's a winner, that's a winner, that's a winner. And it, it, as you say, Paul, it never ever goes like that, does it? No, I I think this weekend, uh, the it last the last, last weekend was last weekend. There was loads of short price favourites winning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I think I mean on paper they look all winnable, all, all the shorties, but there'll be something that lets you down. I mean, in relation to my views on this race, I think that um, I disagree wholeheartedly with um, the panel. I think Yala Yankee, I mean, it, it did move to the date this year, the Welsh National, but it ran in the Welsh National last year, finished third, then came here and beat Rockland Asbar by about six, seven lengths, won it very easily. So I'm not too concerned that even though that Welsh National was moved to um, January, I, I don't think you'll... I think after this, that might be it for the season for Yala Yankee. If the cat fits, I had the same view going through this as Chris. And I look back on that race and I just think that it, it's just a monkey. And I, I, I've noticed this over the years with Harry Fry. Some of the um, horses, they are really good hurdlers, but when they go over fences, they're never, they're never as good. And I, I think if the cat fits, this is just a, um, an idea that they've, trying because of the fact that they went on so strongly last time. It was very lazy last time. Um, an extra four furlongs run, it's a tight course. It can't get bored halfway round, in my view, this time, because it's just of the nature of the course. And I and I just think it's an afterthought because they've seen the race last time and they're trying to um, trying to make something of if the cat fits and make it a long distance chaser. And I don't think that's the case. And it wouldn't surprise me at some point they go back over hurdles. What the Casbah was beaten fair and square in this race last year, I can't see that reverse in the form. It's um, could well get second. Um, but yeah, the mighty Don is another possible second. But I I can't see. And unfortunately, again, because it's so short, I don't like to put them up. But I think Yali Yankee is the one to beat him. I would love for Yala Enki to win this. Um, I think it's hard to, the handicap has been pretty tough on and it's been unlucky in a lot of its races not to win. Um, and I think I think they'll be going for it. Although it's only been two weeks, it looks a tough horse. And I mean, it was trying to top and what a performance in the Welsh National to carry top weight and finish third against um, the Evan Williams one, the one that had hardly no weight. It was such a, a great performance that this is sort of the, I, I, I tend to think this race here is the cup final, not the Welsh National. And this is the race that they target. And I think they'll they'll, they'll take it quite easily. Just, just my view, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the winner was carrying, what, 10 stone four? Yeah. 10 stone and one. Secret Reprieve, was it? Yeah, yeah 10 stone one. Yeah. And Yala Anki was carrying 11, 12. So 12 pounds yeah. lighter this time. Yeah. Um, Very hard, hard race in the Welsh National. Yeah. yeah. Where is that? Off 11, 12. But who, are, who are we to argue with Paul Nichols? We say this most weeks. He's yeah. not a fool. There's either a plan here. Or they're going for it. Yeah, I think after the Charlie Hall race this year, wasn't it surname? He was the lay bet of the weekend that weekend. So 
after that weekend. Never question Paul Nichols again. <laughs> Perfect. So we'll round up that one. So the four ten, uh, two ten at Taunton. We've got if the cap fits for Chris Loder at three to one. The mighty Don Paul Callahan's fourteen to one nap for the weekend. And Peter Finch is going with the short price favourite for this one, Yala Enki. So that rounds everything up race-wise to cover. Do we have any other bets or business? Chris Lodi, you got us a good winner last weekend with Eileen Dover. Um, made that look all a little bit too easy. Have you got anything else for us this week? Yeah, well, this is where my nap is going to be coming from. This week, and I know, Kate, you, 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 I like a Donald McCain horse at the moment, especially the novice hurdlers. He, I think he's going to have, um, when we get to the spring festivals, I think he's going to have a couple of nice uh, novice hurdlers that could potentially at least make the frame in some of those big grade one races. And he's got one running at Haydock in the 130, a horse called Manella Drama. Sam Twiston Davis has been booked. And... <coughs> His last uh, couple of starts have been really impressive. He bolted up at last time at Bang on D in really heavy ground. And the form of that race has worked out not too badly already. The Grey Falco, who finished third, made the frame today in a novice hurdle at Ludlow, and he was well beaten. Also as well, his win at Sedgefield has worked out not too badly as well. So he's got a lot of nice form uh to his name for a novice by Fleming Turf as well, so he should absolutely appreciate the deep ground. He also as well gets five pounds from Landonabo lads uh, of Tom Simmons, who I've been a big fan of this season as a trainer. But I just think um, Manella Drama's got a lot of things going for him. Uh, Don McCain actually won this race. If you go back down the years with Peddlers Cross, who went on to win the the Supreme um, that year, I'm not saying Manella Drama's in the same breath as that, but I definitely think Manila Drama and also as well Bareback Jack, who I've mentioned quite a few times. I talk a lot about that horse um, with Katie there. Um, he, I just absolutely love that horse. I just think Manila Drama and Bareback Jack are two novice hurdlers from the McCain yard that you want to be keeping on side this season. And I think if they do make it to Cheltenham or Aintree and some of those grade ones, keep them on side because I do think they might be big prices and they could cause a couple of shocks. But Manila Drama for me here, I think he's around about five to two in the betting. I think he'll take all the beating in this race and uh, he's going to be my nap of the weekend. Lovely stuff. Yeah, you're right. I can find five to two best price at the moment for Manila Drama as well. I've got um, Bareback Jack in my tracker and the note I've put on it just says, back it. <laughs> um, he... Looks really exciting for the future for the Donald McCain yard. So, Paul Calhoun, have you got anything else for us? I like Silver Sheen in the 157 at Navin. It's an interesting, quite an interesting hurdle over two and a half miles. It's going to be quite testing at Navin on Saturday, I expect. Wolf Prince of it is in also of interest for Gavin Cromwell in the same race. However, he won a, a decent juvenile hurdle as a three year old, but he failed to kick on from that. But Silver Sheen completed a hat-trick of victories when he won a pair-times qualifier at Warwick in January of last year. And this is his first start since that. Robbie Power is is already jocked up, so I think the decks are made. There's no prices on the race, but yeah, I think Silver Sheen will take a bit of beating in that 157 at Navan on Saturday afternoon. 
And Pete, have you got anything to add? Well, there's one in the Haydock 205. I'm not too sure what price we will get, but I mean, Evan Williams had a couple of winners today. You've got a 0 to uh, 140 handicap, and the top weight there, Klein, he, he seems to run well at As Ascot, run well against Queen of Hearts two runs ago. And I thought it was, I mean, it's obviously 11 year old now, and it was weighted 150 plus. It's the first time in, in, a, in a low sort of 0 to 140. And I fought against some younger horses in that race that are not really at the top of their game. I thought Klein could could run quite well at Haydock. He is priced up on William Hill at the moment at seven to one, but that's the only price I can find for him. So it'll be interesting to see once the other bookmakers have released the odds for that. Well, hopefully, if we get nine runners, we can get a good each way bet on that. There's eight or nine runners and. So, in um, Mark Horoski fashion, do we have any lay bets for the weekend? I know, for me, Yala Enki. <laughs> I'm going to lay Yala Enki. I just that think. That is fighting talk. I, and even for maybe a place as well, uh, for the first two at least. Could go close, and I know he's a really admirable game horse, but just think that's too short in the betting for me to be getting stuck in an odds on where I think it, there's a couple of useful rivals, and even Pool's Nap, I even look mighty done there. I think I think that that could go pretty well as well. So yeah, I think there's a couple in there lurking that uh, could go well, um, and I, at the prices, I would be keen to lay her. Okay, what do you think of that? Well. I totally disagree. I, I, I'm not really an odds-on or, or short-price favourite backer, but I, I, I do think Yala Enki is a good thing. I think Boubadere is a good thing. I think I think a lot of the short ones this week are a good thing. But like we've already said, never will quite works out like that. And I'm sure uh, looking back on the racing over the weekend, when we look back next week, we'll go, well, yeah, we didn't see that one and that's got beat, that's got beat. But there will be quite a lot of Accumulators being placed this weekend on three or four of them that are pretty short. And if the first three come in, bookmakers may be running for cover, but um, in life's never like that. So we'll, it'll be interesting. It's an interesting weekend. It's maybe not the most competitive weekend of racing that we're going to have. And, and now it starts to go a little bit not so competitive with Cheltenham, not that far away. So it's an interesting weekend as opposed to a very competitive one. Could be a weekend for a lucky 15 bet um, or something like that with the favourites. So, uh, one, well, two final bits of business. We have a couple of questions from Twitter. Um, Paul Callahan, I can't remember who it was, but someone has asked us who our favourite horses past and present are. Yeah, Do you want to start with that? Alison Townend um, sent in that one. Um, favourite horses. Well, I just went with the past, I suppose. The, the two, when I was growing up, I was a massive fan of Doran Sprite. I just absolutely loved the horse. Um, I can remember Shane Broderick winning the stairs on him. I can remember Shane Broderick coming to win at the festival, and I think he caught the top of the... He fell at the last. was absolutely gutted, and then he, he came back and he won the stairs. Um I absolutely love the horse. I can remember growing up as primary school, I wrote a letter off to Mikey Hurrigan who sent me a, 
two pictures of the horse. Um, I was delighted one with Shane Broderick on and one with Richard and Woody. Um, so Doran's prayed for one when I was growing up. And then a little later, Franco. I was very lucky to see Franco on his second start winning at Doncaster. I was at a function, an injured jockeys fund function at Donny that day. Um, it was just a three, you only had two runners to, to beat, but he was exceptional. And I can remember listening to the to the debrief after from Tom Quigley. And I think he just, like, obviously going there, Franco had a huge reputation. Um, and Tom Quigley after said that he literally, he asked him kind of on the approach to the two for him marker to, to extend, but it was purely just to see what was under the bonnet and that was it. But she, I remember him saying that it was just the, that he was the real deal, and I kind of never forget that. And there was a, a, a serious buzz about Doncaster before and after. I was in the injured jockeys function day. There was a, a, like a marquee up, and even there, like jockeys past and present, was all about Henry Cecil's Frankel and to see it and around the parade ring as big a crowd as there was. Like the, everyone there was a, a substantial crowd around the, the number one spot when Frankel came back in. And great buzz about the place, and he was exceptional. He's one of those horses that just oozes presence and charisma. And when you watch him back, it's like hair stand up on the back of the neck sort of moment. Yeah. He's he's a horse of a lifetime. Chris Loder, who are you going with? I'll go for the, how long you got. Um, not all night, obviously. <laughs> um, I'll go with two uh, from when I first started getting into racing. Now, I haven't been the biggest racer. I haven't... Um, been into racing for years and years and years and years so my uh horse uh knowledge going back down the years obviously i know who the good horses were but a fairly recent times um one of my, my probably my one of my favorite horses was willoughby court for ben Paulin. i just remember um backing him in the neptune uh at the Cheltenham festival back in 2017 mm-hmm. it was my first ever Cheltenham festival for like watching and getting stuck into it and I ha- didn't really have too much luck on the first day. Uh, but then on the second day, I just was looking at the form of what he'd be caught. And I just thought, I think he's worth a chance or worth a poke at 14 to 1. And I just remember that day, David Bass was on him. And he went right out to the front and he was tough as nails. He just kept putting everything um, to the sword. He jumped great. Um, nothing got past him that day. And then the favourite was Neon Wolf. Who a lot of people were on. Uh, he he was the he was the favourite uh, for the race on the day for Harry Fry. A lot of people were expecting big things from him. Unfortunately, uh, Neon Wolf uh, didn't get to reach his full potential. We lost him a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, Willoughby Court. I just absolutely loved him that day, and he gave me some great great memories. And the other horse. This is a bit of a funny story. Um, is an Evan Williams horse called Tornado in Milan. Now, this horse, unfortunately, is no longer with us as well. I think he uh, suffered a fatal injury about a year or two ago. Uh, but uh, I used to work in a library before I started going down the journalism path. And I used to skive off in the afternoons and listen to William Hill racing radio in the toilet. Um, and I had a, I had three winners up on a lucky 15. And Tornado in the, in the Lamb was... Uh, my my last bet of the day and i'd had a couple of big price winners as well going on to it and i just remember listening on my headphones in the loo uh skiving out when i should have been working 
Um, <laughs> and uh, and I just remember hearing like tornado in Milan. That's my bad impression of a commentary there. But uh, and I just remember like it won, and I just remember going ecstatic. It was the first time I ever had a full house up in a lucky fifteen. And from then on, I always followed tornado in Milan for emotional reasons. So yeah, they're just a couple of horses that I just thought would be a bit funny for the listeners there. Um, that that I that I've got some good memories on, but uh, yeah, I love stuff like that. I remember my first big prize winner was actually a horse that ran in the Grand National and won at I think sixty to one or sixty six one Aurora's Encore, and I skived off work. Um, I took a very long toilet break <laughs> to go and watch that, and I remember it's like moments like that that really capture the imagination of race fans and the horses capture your hearts that way by those incredible um, appearances. So, Pete, anything to add? Who are you going for? Yeah, I, will, I will be brief, but um, a couple of these horses you will not know. But talking about stories, um, going back to... I was born in 1968, so we're going back a long way. But in the 1980s, you could actually go into a betting shop, be under 18, and no one would ask any questions. So I used to, um, I was about 15, I'd say 1983, 84, at lunchtimes going to William Hill, which is very close to the, my school, at lunchtimes, and um, occasionally put a 10p bet on, which, which wasn't a lot in those, which was actually okay in those days, you could put pocket money on it. And there used to be two horses called Beat the Retreat and Winging a Prayer, and I don't know, um, I think one of them featured in big races and the others, but they seem to be running every week. That caught my my um, brain cells because every every week I used to go in the book is at the lunchtime, is beat the retreat and ringing a prayer and running. A few years later, there was a horse that I lost a lot of money on called Coon's Ditch, which seemed to every time get beat by horses like Bowie Hill Lad and Wayward Lad in the late 80s. And as I got to know a little bit more about racing, I understand it more than your horses like Morley Street, Istabrak, Rooster Booster. They're the ones that sort of um, spring to mind for me. But more recently, and I've got to say, not only from a financial point of view, but Q Card um, is more, my most recent uh, favourite. I think uh, that the win at Kempton uh, and the King George will live long in my memory, not only because I backed it, because I was telling everyone else to back it, and the actual guts and determination in the final strides to get up on the line is something that you will not forget. And, and Q Card is a horse that really um, that I enjoyed watching uh, in recent years. I have seen him in the flesh, and he's absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, so that's why I love a lot of the ROR stuff. These special horses when they do come and parade and it's nice to remember them and see them still being loved and enjoyed by by everyone so second question is from paul the wicked chicken on twitter um favorite trainers on the flat and the national hunt circuits um let's go reverse order this time peter finch um, it all depends if we're talking from a financial point of view or just trainers that you like. I, I seem to do well with Gary Moore, um, although I didn't have his free time at Linkfield. I think I find, found the ones that he didn't win with that should have won in the week. But I do like Gary Moore, and I, I do like a horse when he's punted uh, in the yard. Ed Walker is another one on the flat that 
tends to do well in handicaps. Um, there's obviously a number of trainers that I follow that pushes down the field or, uh, or or not running over the right distance. And Ed Walker would be a trainer that's been quite profitable, um, sort of not in the top uh, five or eight trainers around, but Ed Walker um, does well for me. And I think, I mean, <coughs> it's understanding trainers and trying to understand their patterns of play because obviously many more so on the flat than over the jumps. They do target specific races, but they come back year on year, uh, year on year to try and win those. So it's trying to get in. Uh, I mean, we talked about Alan King earlier on. He's, he's a fine job uh, trainer, and he does both codes as well. And I quite like the trainers that go on both codes because you, you know what you get in um, with those kind of trains. Paul Callahan. I'm gonna go. Over jumps, I would say Paul Nichols. Um, for the, the you know, we took him on with surname. Uh, everyone did earlier on in the season. Um, he done his own thing, had his own plans mapped out, and and Everton worked out well. I think to retain his hunger, his drive, for the the length of time that he has, you know, when he's at the top of his game for so long, it's incredible. Um, and it's it's hard to do. It's hard to keep everyone happy, like you're training horses and. You're dealing with stable staff, you're dealing with owners and that it's not an easy thing to do and, and try and keep your eyes on, on the price at the same time. Um, he's done it, he does it year in, year out and I think it's incredible. So I think Paul Nichols for, for all, his all-round training, like he, he does it year on, year year out with his equine and also dealing with stable staff and the owners. And on the flat, I'm going to say Mark Johnson. I think again, his, his drive and determination is, is incredible. I was lucky enough to ride out there for three summers and when I walked into the yard I thought like I think there was a good to 300 horses riding out there Um, I was in the yard maybe five to six I was on a horse by I'd say before five past six I was on a horse everyone knew where you, you everyone knew what they were doing it just the place ran like clockwork it was incredible so organized for such a big yard you know to train horses is one thing but again the organization of it was just incredible. It was spot on. That the whole place just ran like clockwork. Like he had, he had full time chefs and and still has like employed to, to feed the staff, and that it was just the place just worked incredible. Um, it was probably how every yard should be should be run or indeed a business. It was just incredible. This is um one of the things that I wrote about um for my blog with the skeleton yard um and the one thing that really struck me when i was there was like with mark johnson they've got so much organization um and they invest so much into the team that work for them um, whether that's with training or um like they spent a lot of money on building a 17 bedroom property for the staff to live on site they get breakfast and lunch cooked for them every day they just fend for themselves in the evening. They've got a gym, they've got this, they've got that. Um, and everyone within the Skelton family has a very clear role that makes yeah. it work so that they can keep their eye on the prize. That's um, kind of what marks as well. Like the, like even the talk, there was never a rush. Like if you're running, if you're out of a walk, you're going too fast. You just did your job. You did what you were paid to do and more like the staff. The staff as well that are in Marks have been there for years. 
you know, like all the stable staff, Joe Fanning's been there. So, you know, I don't think he's been a tiny other yard since he since he moved over. But the stable staff in general, I don't think the the majority of staff have been there for years and years. And do you know, but even have time, like they have time to, to talk to their staff and and as you say, invest in them. But even on a personal level, um, they're just down there. They're just dead on, and and the, the yard just it runs like clockwork. I mean, for, for me as well, like you said, sorry to interrupt, uh, Mark Johnson actually is, a, is another trainer that, um, like you both said, is, is definitely one to, to follow. I mean, obviously, I look at it from a slightly different point of view, from a, from a punting point of view, but Mark Johnson, again, you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a trainer that really will try and win as many races as he can, and they are always generally trying unless, you know, it's a slow developer. So, so Mark Johnson is definitely top of those trainers to, to, to follow certainly in the summer when you get really good ground yeah it's it's interesting because i guess you've got trainers at different levels with different capacity of horses as well and capability of those horses and i think the key thing for me with paul nichols is he has a plan for them and he finds a place for them um which i think many trainers struggle with um even the smaller time trainers people like phil mckenty um he gets horses from the horses in training sales a lot of the time um and they might not be performing to where the bigger trainers want them to perform but phil can take them on and find them their place in racing um i really like following phil for that Chris Loder, who are you going for? Yeah, a lot of people probably know my favourite jumps trainer, and that's Chris Gordon. Not because he's nuts, and I know loads of people go, oh, he's a real character in that, but I actually like him as a as a trainer, and I think he does a cracking job of the ammunition he gets. You know, if you actually dissect his record, he, he doesn't stand out in one particular discipline. He doesn't stand out in bumpers, or he does stand out in bumpers, but he, he's not... He, he he's very diverse from what he trains. You know, he's got a very good record with his bump horses. He does really well with his hurdles and he does really well with his chasers. You know, he's an all round proper good national hunt trainer, I think. And he doesn't get necessarily the plum, the plaudits he deserves, I think, as a trainer. Um, and especially in the last couple of years, his stable's really upped its game. They had their first grade two winner last year with uh, Highway 102. They've had some good owners in the yard that have come in and brought some nice horses. You know, they they were really unlucky as well. They nearly won the county hurdle a couple of years ago. The Moe Adam, you know, obviously we talked about earlier, lost his life uh, last week. Um, yeah, they nearly won it with a horse called Remulic um, uh, a few years ago. And then uh, I was fortunate to visit Chris's yard um, last year uh, before lockdown. And they had Remulic in and he hadn't run for a while. I said, oh, how's Remulic doing now? And he said, oh, well, he's uh, he's still around. Old boy, you know, but the thing is too far on a handicapper. Rung up the handicapper. We got him down four pounds. Um, we're, just, we're just happy to run the old boy. He owes us nothing. And then the next time he ran uh, in his first start season, he actually finished, uh, I think it was third or fourth in the Betfair hurdle and ran an absolute cracker behind Victoria. I just think whatever Chris has, he, he does a great job with all his horses. You know, he had on the swipe shirt last year that went through the handicap ranks for him. He's like I said, he had his first grade two winner, his first grade mm-hmm. of success. He's got good record in bumpers and he's got a good team going on with Tom Cannon, you know, 
very good rider. Obviously, rides a lot these days for Alan King since Wayne Hutchison left. But even Adam Wedge and R- Richard Johnson sometimes uh, get get the uh, the book in. So yeah, Chris, I've got a lot of time for over jumps. When it comes to flat, I'm actually going to go for Alan King, who obviously we associate with jumpers. But I love his flat horses. I just love an Alan King flat horse. Uh, he's had some great servants over the years. Uh, who dares win springs to mind. Um, also as well Cometti. yeah Cor de Leon um and then Trushan as well who I kind of deserted a lot last year after loving him the year before because I was all about Caravan of Hope who unfortunately didn't get to fulfill his full potential and hopefully still well one day um but yeah I just think Alan King on the flat wow like what what an incredible trainer and obviously he, he uh, had that group success with Trushan on Champions Day, you know, and and had Royal Ascot success and was cleaning up lots of the the big uh, races last season on the flat over the stay in trips. You know, I just think he's such an incredible trainer over both codes. But I think he's uh, I think he started to get the recognition now on the flat. But yeah, I've got a lot of time for him with his flat horses, and uh, I think uh, when it comes to flat, he'd probably be my favourite trainer for a flat horse. He is a fantastic horseman. Um, and I'm extremely lucky to have one of his horses. Um, they're just they're well looked after, and they become nice people. So in inverted commas, um, because of how they're trained and looked after. Um, in fact, one of my friends has another Alan King horse, um, Ocean, and he's the same. Just really nice boy, um, and. He was really talented before his injury. Perfect. So that is most of our business to cover for the podcast, except we have got a little competition running this weekend. So on Friday, we're going to announce four races and we're going to do a connect four with a £100 prize fund, which I believe... Chris, um, Mark's told me you're putting up the money for. Yeah, that's right. With my uh, 50p each way on uh, the 20 to 1. <laughs> so we're going to put the races up on Friday night. It's free to enter. So make sure you follow us on Twitter where it will all be run. And yeah, that is that for us this weekend. Thanks to everyone for the analysis and the tips chris paul and peter um and thank you to everyone listening for continuing to support the podcast our figures are growing every week and we couldn't do it without the support so it's deeply deeply appreciated if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the podcast on itunes spotify and soundcloud so you don't miss any of the latest podcasts i hope everyone has had a great has a great weekend and gamble responsibly 